<laughs> Welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and we're here to talk about something I don't know. But first, I looked up the CRISPR drawer. Okay, so if like we we had a conversation, it was probably two weeks ago now, right? Yes. Where um, you asked me about the cheese drawer because cheese apparently drawer. there is some cheese drawer controversy out there in the yeah, world. Yeah, some people don't have a drawer in their fridge where they put all the cheese. Yeah, well, some people are cave people, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but it morphed into a conversation about the CRISPR. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was part of the 55% of Americans who don't know how to use their vegetable drawer. <laughs> and so I wanted to solve that problem. So I went to um, the internet. Yes. Have you heard of the internet? I have heard of the internet. And I went to Wikipedia, which is the free encyclopedia. And I looked up, there's actually an article on the CRISPR drawer. A whole article. Well, I mean, it's a short article. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think the the earliest reference is like in the 1830s. Oh. Like before refrigeration. So Interesting. The, I, I don't know how that would work. Okay. Maybe it's not. I don't. Now I have to go look at Wikipedia articles on refrigeration and the history of <laughs> how to keep things cold. Um, but what I found in my n- not research mm-hmm. in my survey is that um, the CRISPR drawer is designed to keep the humidity higher than the rest of the refrigerator, and that keeps vegetables fresher longer but there's more there's more there's more the fruit drawer is designed to have a little vent and the vent lets out the ethylene gas that the fruit is releasing so does it release it just into the refrigerator or is there like a vent that it goes through i think it's just into the larger so it's not concentrated in that one i don't know if it's explosive or what I don't know, because I've always seen the things where you keep fruit in an airtight container and it will last longer. Really? So that's very interesting. Yeah, like like berries and stuff. Hmm. You're supposed to like wash them and dry them and put them in an airtight container. I don't, and they're supposed I don't know to anything last about longer. it. I, I know this. Um, <clears throat> I can just go down to the market and get some fresh ones. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's, I, I mean, we we tried doing the tomato thing. One year, it was 2020, it was the pandemic. And I thought, okay, let's grow a garden just in case it is the apocalypse. And um, because I was actually, I had a second job at the time. I was shopping for shipped. And so I was literally watching like stuff fly off the shelves Mm -hmm. and it not come back. Like uh, bread, Mm -hmm. like you want, you walked in and it was like, uh, you're having two inches of snow in the South. There was no bread. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and the toilet paper fiasco. Oh, yes. Oh, I mean, it was so it was so bad. So I was one of the people. I will not say that I hoarded toilet paper, but I can tell you, I had enough to share, and I shared because <laughs> um, some people did run out. Yeah, yeah, it was it was trippy. But that's uh, so. I, I now I know a little bit more. I've moved from the fifty five percent of Americans who don't know about the vegetable CRISPR to the forty five percent of Americans who do. Okay. And I feel very special. <laughs> and all of our listeners now. Yeah, and now now you all know too. So what uh, what question do you have for me today that I don't know anything about? Do you know when OMG started being used? OMG. Mm hmm. 
like, do you think it came around when we started IMing and texting or was it before that? Wow. Okay. So I am from before texting. Right. I mean, I am too by a little bit. (laughs) Are you though? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. I did not have a phone until I was 18. Okay. So. Yeah. So OMG. Um, do I think it comes before? Okay, so I think it's a trick question. I'm going to say yes, it comes before uh-huh. texting. How far do you think? Oh, um, oh, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> how far before? Gosh, we've been we've been shortening things for so long. I'm going to say 1700s. Okay, you went a little too far. Oh. So the Atlantic reports that in 1917, British Navy Admiral John, can't pronounce his middle name, Fisher, wrote to Winston Churchill. I hear the new order of knighthood is on the tapis. He wrote, OMG, shower it on the Admiralty. Oh. So 1917 is when it first appeared. 1917 is when we know it first appeared. Correct. But see, uh, the guy with the unpronounceable middle name (laughs) would have had to know that the recipient of the message would have um, received it. And it Uh, was O.M.G. It wasn't just O.M.G. Right. Because that would be OMGA. (laughs) I actually did listen to a podcast um, because I've been doing that more. And I have some thoughts about our little show here. I thought we should do fake commercials. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we don't, like, I don't know. We're not sponsored yet. We're not sponsored or anything. But I thought, you know, we could do some fake commercials. Okay, we'll write some of those up. Yeah, or we could do some real commercials for people who haven't asked for commercials. That would be fun. (laughs) Um, But I did listen to a podcast about emojis. Okay. And I had the thought, so because I'm also reading a book called Smart Brevity, which so I put out a weekly, e- a twice weekly email, uh, one kind of looking back on Sunday, mm-hmm. and the other one anticipating Sunday, um, and so Smart Brevity talks about how, you know, you should use bullet points and kind of condense things, mm-hmm. and because people's attention, they they read just the first little bit to find out if they're interested in going any further. Correct. And so I had the thought as I'm reading this book on the one hand and listening to this podcast on the other, could you write a whole email? using nothing but emojis. You probably could, but you'd have to make sure everybody knows what the same emoji means. There is an emojipedia. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm flying. There is. Okay. <clears throat> Cuz I mean, I might look at I know it's come up quite a bit where mm-hmm. like the one with the arms up, like questioning, mm-hmm. you know, some people might take it as questioning. Some people might be like, I don't care. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's like wit how and like that's the problem I had with I aming when it first came out, because I would say something and then the way I would read the other person's oh, yeah. text, it would I would take it the wrong way or mm. they would take mine the wrong way. Oh, and yeah. So I, the same thing could go with emojis. I flatly refuse to manage conflict through text messages. Just because you can be so misunderstood so quickly and so easily. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that's, and some people only manage conflict through text messages. Yeah. Um, so now I think, I don't know, I love texting. Like, don't call me, text first. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you have time for a phone call? 
perfect. Right. That's like the, the modern world. But um, yeah, I, I'm thinking about trying to write an email using all emojis. I'll write it to you. <laughs> okay. And then I'll see if I can decipher then it. Then you decipher it and send it back to me. <laughs> okay. That's on the task list. Write emoji email to Alyssa. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so today, something I do know a little bit about is church management. And um, I have been told that management is a hard word. Yeah. So what word would we, would we use instead of management? Church, well, that's, church life? I mean, that's what your wife suggested was yeah. church life. I guess it, uh, management is a hard word, but there's no... I don't know if there's a synonym that would. I love synonym rules. <laughs> Just like grammar used to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, I Yeah. Management maybe is the like that's the word that comes into my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it's not the warmest and fuzziest word, but it, it there is an aspect of what the church is that requires some level of management, because what we're trying to do as a church like, that's kind of the thing. What are we trying to do as a church? We should manage that so that we understand expectations. You're looking for a synonym for management, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, church running. Oh, that running is horrible, horrible. Why would you, why would anyone run? <laughs> <clears throat> There's a guy that runs up and down Church Street, and I just feel like stopping and saying, sir, what are you running from? Operation, conduct, conduct, guidance. Yeah. They're all kind of handling. They, there's. Yeah, they're very. Okay, so for lack, for lack of a better word, we'll just call it church management. Okay. <clears throat> um, and I know a little bit about it. And I think um, one, one of the things that's important is to have the structure correct. Uh-huh. Like the internal leadership structure has to be correct. Otherwise, you end up with problems. Right. You know, of. Problems that limit the church in its mission. And I think whenever you limit the church in its mission, I think God has an opinion about that. I think God wants us to be focused on what he is trying to do through the church Mm -hmm. in this difficult, dark world. And so one of the things that I um, have picked up along the way, um, a lot of this comes from from my last employment at Heart of the Lakes Church, uh, is this little card. It's our Vision 2025. And the idea behind Vision 2025 is just to say, this is what we're doing. If you walked into Shoreline in 2025, this is what should characterize us as a church. And when we get to 2025, we're going to start talking about Vision 2030. Okay. And then 2035, and then 2040, and then 45 and 50. And by 50, I'll be long gone, right? (laughs) Because I'm that old. Um, But should the Lord allow me to live that long, what I'd love to see is that the church continuing to do what God has called us to do. Uh And and, and there's this problem called the bike shed problem. I heard about this from somebody at at church, actually, at Shoreline. And in the bike shed problem, suppose you work at a factory and you are building a shed for all the bikes, like huge, sprawling place. People use bikes to get around. Okay. And you're, that was my first question was, why do you have a bike shed at a factory? Yeah, but. well, because, you know, you have to get around and you don't want to drive everywhere. Okay. Because, you know, greenhouse gases, <clears throat> bad for the environment. And so you build a bike shed mm-hmm. and you're going to paint it. Well, what color? 
Again, my first response is rainbow. So rainbow. nobody, yeah. yeah, everybody gets to pick a color. Everybody's equally mad, right? Yeah. I wanted it blue. Well, it is it blue. It is blue. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think, like, my wife is a very, very good at picking colors, like, for the house. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved into our place here, um, I like the blue in our bedroom. I like the, this is kind of a dark reddish brown in my mm-hmm. office. I like that color. But I don't think that this color would work in the foyer downstairs because it mm. wouldn't accent the woodwork right Right in the first room of our house. And so this color was originally picked for that room, mm. but it's not in that room. Yeah. Because um, uh, otherwise the woodwork wouldn't pop. People have opinions about color, mm-hmm. right? And so when you're working at a place. opinions about everything. Yeah, people have opinions about everything. And when it comes to the bike shed, everybody's opinion is pretty much equal. Whether you're the CEO or the janitor, now, the CEO would probably be like, we're painting it blue, uh, company colors, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then everybody has to deal with it. But I think even the CEO doesn't want to deal with, like, griping about the color of the bike shed. Mm-hmm. And people could get really angry about that kind of stuff. And I think that kind of applies to church, you know, because a lot of people have a different opinion about what the church should be doing. Mm-hmm. So what should the church do? One of the things that we do as a church is something called benevolence. And so benevolence is the way that we help people with material and physical needs. Okay. Um, and this would be like we have a benevolence fund. Mm-hmm. We uh, take up an offering on the first of the month to sort of populate that fund with with resources. The Samaritan fund? Is that? Uh, yeah, the Samaritan okay. fund. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's our, that's our benevolence mm-hmm. fund. And so then we use that money during the course of the year to help people. And we get phone calls, yeah. you know, people will call from the community. Hey, I can't pay my rent or my water. And, um, we have a, a process that kind of, you know, when was the last time you used benevolence? Mm-hmm. You know, when was this, how are this, you know, there are a number of questions and really we have to ask those questions because we can't help everybody. Mm-hmm. I would love, right. Wouldn't it be great to have like this infinite pool of benevolence money that you could just hand it out to whoever needed it. Mm-hmm. I think that would be great. I would love to do that kind of thing. But you can't. Every organization has to manage resources, right? right. Benevolence resources included. And so some people will have an opinion about how benevolence funds should be used. Actually, everybody will have an opinion. Right. right. And sometimes it's one of the first questions you asked us in a small group setting when you first came to the church was oh, yeah? how we would handle it if somebody who is a member of the church came and needed money and somebody outside the church came and we only had the exact amount they were each asking, but like mm. only one person could take it. Who do we yeah. give it to? Yeah, it's it's a thorny issue sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it, it um, you can have people, I mean, churches split over this kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Over <clears throat> what seems to be trivial. But really, if you kind of take a step back into church management, Mm -hmm. right, if you have a good structure and if you have good policy in place, then you can say, here's what we do and and why, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't even remember asking that question. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, So in a lot of ways, I'm always thinking about, like, managing church. And a lot of my good friends are church leaders, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we have conversations about, church issues all the time. Um, And some of them, you know, some, some of them, you have to filter some of their advice because some of their advice fits and some of their advice doesn't fit. Right. 
Uh, I'm sure I've given some bad advice mixed in with the good advice. You have to figure that out. So church management, and one of the things that we've done to sort of like look into the Bible and discern what's our role in the community, how do we as Shoreline fit in, and uh, we've come up with five statements. And these five statements, um, like the first one is the first one, but the other ones are just kind of like in its orbit. Okay, so like they're all equal. They're equally important. We have to do them all. But the first one, like in my mind, is introduce people to Jesus. And the reason for this, like there's actually a research-oriented reason behind introduce people to Jesus. Um, that that every, exact phrasing? Like, I'm sorry, what? Like the research, is it about that exact phrasing or mm -hmm. is it just like the general concept of introducing people? To so people? the concept, right? Okay. So everybody in church is interested in growth, right? Mm -hmm. Churches should naturally grow. How do churches grow? Mm -hmm. You have to find people. Well, well, there are a number of ways, right? So you could grow if another church in town were to close. Mm -hmm. Those people will still be going to a church. Would they right. then come to our church? That's transfer growth. Mm -hmm. And that's actually like, that would be pretty catastrophic. Because yeah. we, we wouldn't, like, I, I don't like the idea that churches close. Mm -hmm. um, even though we may benefit from that. Um, I, I would like to see that we are planting churches, right? Mm -hmm. So that we as a church are growing to the point that we're able to start something new someplace where maybe they don't have a church. Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, somewhere in Northwest Ohio. And you might be surprised to think, a church planter once challenged me with this idea. If everyone in, let's say, Ottawa County went to a church, how many seats would be left over? Mm. None. The churches couldn't hold every resident of Ottawa County. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about like expansion and growth, there's plenty of opportunity right here. And so that really kind of reoriented my thinking a little bit. Mm -hmm. But when you introduce someone to Jesus, and sometimes people are coming back to the faith, I meet a lot of people who are like, yeah, I need to get back to church. What's stopping you? Let's go, mm -hmm. you know, come back to church. But really, more importantly, come back to Jesus Christ, you know, because that's so important for everything in your life. Mm -hmm. So um, when you introduce someone to Jesus, and especially someone who is coming to faith for the first time, they come and make this big life change. There's some mm -hmm. big uh, changes going on in people's lives at Shoreline right now. And when, when people make that big life change, they are surrounded by other people who also don't go to church. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I are Christians. A lot of the people we interact with are also Christians. Mm -hmm. And so there's very little opportunity to engage someone who is outside the faith right? When someone comes to faith for the first time, they're surrounded by people who are outside the faith, right. and it can become a real catalyst for church growth. There are a couple of reasons why we would want the church to grow, right? One is obedience to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. He wants the church to grow. He wants everybody to be a Christian. That's one. Another is um, like we have to replace ourselves, right? Right. Like there needs to be a pastor in the future, and he may be bivocational or whatever, but there needs to be someone to sort of keep the church on track and mm -hmm. preach on Sunday, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which is the only thing I really actually do. Um, <clears throat> so introduce people to Jesus is first because it helps pro it helps the church keep going into the future. Mm -hmm. 
And then sort of like related to that, we want to cultivate a future focus. And so this is where like our children's ministry and our youth ministry are very important because we want these children to grow up understanding that God is, that God loves them, cares for them, wants good things for them, mm-hmm. um, encourages them with ethical things. With my oldest grandson who lives with us, we have been looking at Proverbs. And so I will read him a proverb. And a lot of times the proverb has two sides, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, do this, don't do that. But one of my favorite proverbs for him, and I don't remember where, where the address, but it's the leech has two daughters, give and give. And so I'll say, what, what does that mean? He says, I don't know. <laughs> and so it gives me an opportunity to say, okay, the leech has two daughters, give and give. It's greed. It's gimme, gimme. Now he's nine. And so he has a lot of gimme, gimme in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so along with like counting up the money that gets spent on him day by day, hey, you had McDonald's for breakfast. And uh, he always wants like the, the, like the premium stuff. Like, right. I go to McDonald's, I get two sausage McMuffins for $3 and I can feed me and Ruth Ann, uh-huh. right? Three bucks. Yep. You could barely do that at home, right? <laughs> uh, he wants... Uh, hot cakes and sausage, $4 and 20 cents. Yep. Have you lost your mind? (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's lost my wallet apparently. So that's where like for me personally, I want to encourage my grandson to understand the ethical component of scripture, but then also like we as a church want all of our kids to understand not just ethics for the sake of ethics, but ethics for the sake of building a kingdom outpost, right? Mm-hmm. We represent Jesus and his kingdom. It should be different. And so one of one of the differences is that we are thinking constantly about the future. And in, in that, we also want to model generosity. Um, God wants us to be generous, not just with our finances, but also with our time, mm-hmm. with our talent, with our uh, just everything we have should be characterized by generosity. And so in our Vision 2025, here's our couple statements. Introduce people to Jesus, cultivate a future focus through children's ministry, model generosity by just coming back to that idea over and over. Now, I never, I used to go to a church where they had a school, right? Which I I would never want to necessarily have a school because it becomes, it's just that, it's that one more thing that I'm not sure is really building the kingdom. Okay. I'm sure there are people who are doing it well, but it would be hard to do well. Yeah. Um, mostly for economic and financial reasons. But we want to model generosity. And in this church, there was a guy, he was one of the associates, and every week right before the offering, he would stand up and he would have like this ongoing speech of, hey, we got we to gotta pour in these resources. We need money, 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 money. And mm. I was like, man, I never want to be that guy. Yeah. I want to be the guy that stands up and says, thank you. Yeah. You know, because I come from a working background. I know what it's like to go out during the week and bust your backside <laughs> to, uh, to go out and work really, really hard. And then to, uh, to give sacrificially. And that sacrificial giving is, you know, it supports the work of the church. Well, you also become numb to it. If there's somebody up there always oh, saying, yeah. we need money, we need money, we need money. You get, you get numb to it and you're like, you always need money. So why, why should I even give my $10? Because Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to be helping. I'll find somewhere where I know that $10 is going to work. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, I just, I always want to be the guy that's thankful, mm-hmm. you know, because I've, I've been, I've been broke, broke, yeah, you know, um, and, and I've had, I've had, a, I wouldn't say I've had a lot of money. I've had money that I didn't know what to do with mm. <laughs> because of a fire. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, we had a fire that burned down, uh, something on our place and the insurance company sent us a check and I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I said, you have, Ruthanne, you have to send me a picture. And so she did. Anyway, um, money. We should be the kind of church that is known for generosity. Mm-hmm. So that if somebody comes in and walks around, they're like, wow, these people are very generous with their time and with their money and with their talents. We also want to encourage service, right? The mm-hmm. church runs off volunteers and duct tape, and we're always out of duct tape. Um, <laughs> and, and that's where I'm, I'm so thankful. Um, Shoreline has like an incredible group of people who volunteer their time, who take on responsibilities. I mean, you included, right? Mm-hmm. Here you are helping with this, um, helping with children's ministry. You do a lot. Um, I think of, you know, I think of Lori Newman, who's running, heading up the care team. Mm-hmm. And care team does a lot more than just care. They, right. they do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, every time we have a potluck or a 40th anniversary that's coming up, uh, care team is right in there um, setting up chairs. Actually, the first time... The first weekend we were here, we had accepted the position. There was going to be a hot dog uh, thing after church. And we don't have a fellowship hall, right? Right. So you have to reset the sanctuary or the worship center. And so service ended, and all of a sudden there was this flurry of activity. And I looked back up, and there were tables and chairs. And I was like, this yep. is amazing. Um, so we want to be the kind of church that encourages service. And um, there's a lot of different opportunities. Uh, we have a God jobs. And then finally, <clears throat> um, maintain a culture of honor. Okay. And the culture of honor, I think, is really important because what it describes is how we interact with one another. And the culture of honor gets tested when things go sideways, mm-hmm. when things don't go well. And so if you don't have it in the forefront of your mind, uh, which is actually something we have to do, we have to do a separate pod about the culture of honor. Okay. And I think look, this is if you're still listening, sorry. <laughs> I think Grant would be great to have in, in oh, that okay. together. Yeah. Um so anyway, <clears throat> little podcast administration right in the middle. Um the culture of honor comes from the book, book of Ephesians. And the the acronym is tortured, right? Because it's unity, U N I T Y. But really what I wanted is more of a focus on the text, right? Okay. So that the text was louder, and then I would—I don't want to force the 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 text into an, an acronym. I want to force the acronym into the text. Gotcha. If that makes sense. And the first statement in the book of, in Ephesians chapter four is I is I will walk worthy with you, because when Paul writes in Ephesians four one, he talks about walk worthy, you know, of the calling that you've been called with. Mm-hmm. And that idea is that we are called into this new kingdom, this new situation, this new relationship with God. And so our conduct of life should be different. Mm-hmm. But even in that, like I think of like um, in a culture of honor, it's not always just affirming everything that you think or do, right? Right. I had a friend, I actually have a friend, um, and we have a different set of convictions, right? Okay. And so I was exercising a liberty and he was like, hey, I don't like that. And I was like, oh, I won't 
do that in front of you, mm-hmm. like at all ever. Yeah. Why? Because respecting you is a much higher value than right. me practicing that freedom that I have. Yeah. What was the example we thought of earlier? Um, you were talking about a person at your former church at some point in time who. Oh, Uncle Touchy. Yes. Yeah. So there was a, a gentleman. This is one of the first church management situations I had to deal with. Um, there was a gentleman who um, was a little too enthusiastic in his hugs of the ladies. Uh-huh. And, you know, you notice it, you hear people talking about it, and you're like, he's making people uncomfortable. And so the first thought in my head is maybe he doesn't know. Uh-huh. And so we had a, co- a conversation, and it's like, look, you're, you're making people uncomfortable. And his response was, I'm just sharing the love of Jesus. And I said, no, you're not, you know, because if you're sharing the love of Jesus, you will be so respectful of other people's boundaries that if you find out that you've crossed them and made them uncomfortable, you'll immediately change your behavior. Yeah. And he did not like, he just kept on going and like even things that were like really blatant and really obvious. Mm -hmm. And so it became a much harder conversation where it's like, look, you, you can only shake people's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, because a handshake is, it's neutral, it's, it, it sh- shouldn't be offensive to anybody. But even then, mm-hmm. like I know people post-COVID who don't shake hands, right? right. So what do you do? You, the awkward wave, elbow, elbow bumps, bumps, whatever. Yeah. Whatever they're most comfortable with, because that's important to be a culture of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so, one of the hard things, too, to see the him using... Jesus's name to in in the mm-hmm. wrong way. Yeah. Cuz like how how is that showing Jesus's love it's when not. it's making me uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. You're just using that to make your behavior okay in your mind. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, th- that was a really hard situation. Yeah. And I think that's that's where in a culture of honor like it's not just warm and fuzzy. It's uh-huh. not just a statement on a page. It's something that has to be lived out and built into our lives. Yeah. And that, that takes that takes some work, mm-hmm. and that work is hard, you know. So that's where, like with Vision 2025 and coming back and kind of summarizing the whole thing, if someone walks into church in 2025, this is what they should see, and we can start doing that now. I think I'm done. Uh, you can hit the, hit the music. And uh, what were we, what was our thing? OMG. OMG. Ah, oh, that's right. I got I to gotta write the email. Emoji email. Emoji email coming your way. Maybe you can include a Tootsie Pop in there. Yeah, right. <laughs>